So I want you to picture this. Going back 40 years in my life, so at that point I was probably like eight or nine or whatever it is. Yep, I'm getting a bit old. But, uh, but this was a significant day in my life. I was in grade two, I think I was in grade two or three. So I was about eight or something like that. And, and on this particular day of school, it wasn't even the first day of the term or anything, but it was a very nerve-wracking day for me. It, it was the first day I walked into class with glasses on. And I was kind of insecure because it was not cool in those days to wear glasses. And this was my very first day wearing glasses. But that's not the worst part. The worst part was my mother. Because she had chosen my glasses. <laughs> and sorry, mom, I love you. But they were hideous, hideous. And they were like, they were like brownish fading. Oh, they were just, they were hideous. I hated them. And I was, I think I'm emotionally scarred. I'm kind of over it, but I'm not sure. So... So I remember going into class that first time with these hideous glasses, and there was one more problem. Let me add it now. They were indestructible. And I can tell you because I tried. I tried hard to try and snap one of the arms or something. I was tempted because remember those desks where you, like, you, you lifted the desk lid, and, and if you lifted it all the way, whatever was on the pen tray was like, I was tempted to just. Uh, but here's the thing. I was born with, uh, with slightly defective DNA. I mean, that's just the reality. And, and there's a weakness in our line. My mom has glasses, and, and it's just something in our, my DNA needed help so that I could see well. So for 40 years now, I've been wearing glasses, and, and thanks to the glasses, I can actually see quite perfectly. The point is this. I've needed outside help to get my eyesight right because of something in my DNA that wasn't quite right. In fact, my wife tells me I'm disabled because I wear glasses. So like, okay, but uh, just, just, just remember, babe, as her arm is getting longer and longer, that uh, your time of disability is on its way as well. The point is, in the physical, just like my physical DNA is lacking something and needs outside help to get my vision and perspective right, spiritually it's exactly the same. Because we're born into a sin-scarred world, our spiritually, there's something in our hearts that's born defective. The inclination of our hearts is not towards God and holiness. The inclination of our hearts is actually towards sin and selfishness. Coupled with that is that you've sinned. And I know you've sinned. Every single one of you, online as well. You've all sinned. I've sinned because the Bible says there's no one righteous. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And sin affects our lives. You might think it doesn't. It does. Sin scars us and damages us. And here's the thing. The result is we no longer see the world as it is. We actually see the world more as we are. Someone actually said that once. You don't see others as they are. You see others as you are. So if you're a positive, loving person, guess what you're going to see in others? You're going to see some hey, positivity and love. If you're a cynical, critical, negative person, guess what you're going to see? You're going to see devious motives, and I bet you they're scheming and conniving. In other words, you're not seeing the world as it is. You're seeing the world as you are. And just like physically, I've needed outside help to get my eyes right. Spiritually, we need outside help to get our perspective right. That's what this whole journey called Reframed is all about. And I'm super excited about it because here's what I've discovered. If we can learn to see our lives from God's perspective, 
Remember the Bible says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. It's almost as if Jesus were that pair of glasses. If we could see the world through Christ, if we could see what God is doing in situations, in our circumstances, everything changes. Because your perspective governs your response. And I'm praying and hoping, and this is our challenge, and over this journey together, we're going to be looking at different uh, situations, circumstances, and here's the thing, your circumstance might not change. But if your perspective changes, if you see it from God's perspective, then everything changes. So that's where we are going to be heading, and I really trust that it's going to be super helpful. Why is it so important? Let me give you two biblical examples quickly, and I I love them. First one is, is from Elisha. If you remember, Elisha took over from Elijah, incredible prophet of God, but because he was so good, he was actually better than a a spa network for uh, his king because he could just go to the king and say, by the way, Mr. King, you better watch out. This other foreign king is about to assemble his army. He's about to attack, so you might as well go and get ready. And time after time, Elisha was just helping the king win victories to the point where one of the the foreign kings, that's okay, it's just uh, someone's got a white bucky. If you've got a white bucky with a yellow stamp on the back of it, then uh, click it from here and it'll, uh, it'll go off. So Elisha, he's, he's, he's being hunted down now by this foreign king because he's such a good prophet. Now, 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 15. It says, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. So I want you to picture this. This is a real story, real history this happened. Wake up in the morning and suddenly surrounded by an enemy. All you can see is disaster. All you can see is everything that's gone wrong. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Now, he would say that because obviously he saw his servant was terrified. Why was he terrified? Because he just saw he was under attack. All he saw was the enemy had the upper hand. All he saw was that they were in trouble. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Isn't that beautiful? In other words, right there, what he did, what the servant didn't know is that God was working. And because all he saw was in the natural from his perspective, he was terrified. I don't know what Elisha saw. The Bible doesn't tell us. We don't know if Elisha was already able to see all of these chariots of fire or if he just knew that God was with him. But whether he saw or not, he knew. He knew spiritually. He saw prophetically what God was doing. When the servant's eyes were opened, hey, what's the point in being fearful? Because God is with us. Now look what happens next. Verse 18, as the enemy came towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. And what happened now was amazing. Because the whole enemy army was blind, he volunteered, oh, no problem, we will lead you army. And he led the army straight into their army's barracks. And so when they opened their eyes and the blindness was gone, they suddenly realized now they were completely at the mercy. Then they, instead of killing them, made them lunch and sent them back to the king. It's a beautiful story, true story. It really happened. Point is this. Perspective changed everything. The servant was terrified. Elisha was at peace because he could see prophetically. 
When the servant got God's perspective, he suddenly became courageous. The enemy thought they had the upper hand. When they were blinded, they were made defenseless. Our perspective changes everything. Listen to this New Testament story. All of you will know Paul. Paul, the great apostle, wrote most of the New Testament letters. But before he was Paul the apostle, he was Saul the angry Pharisee. His passion in life was to destroy this thing called the church. He thought they were, dis- they were polluting Judaism. He thought they were polluting the temple. And he was set on destroying them. And so he'd seen uh, Stephen being martyred. He was angry. He had letters to go and find anyone following Jesus. He was going to bring them to trial and justice. And then Jesus met him on the road. In Acts chapter 9, verses 3 to 5, it says, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? In that moment... That one little word, me, I believe that was his reframing moment. You see, up to that moment, he saw this rabble of Jesus' followers as a danger to Judaism, to the law, to the temple. In that moment, he suddenly saw that actually this Jesus is the Messiah, and when I mess with the church, I'm actually messing with Jesus. In that moment... Nothing had changed. The circumstance was exactly the same, but his perspective was radically different. He suddenly saw, this is, this is the Messiah. This is Jesus. In that moment, he went from attacking to becoming the greatest servant of the church. He gave up everything to go and preach the gospel. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He laid down his life because his perspective had radically changed. Same situation, God's perspective. Now, this is the power of a reframing moment. And sometimes it takes one word from the Lord. One word. Your circumstances hadn't changed one bit. But one word from God can completely reframe your perspective. Now you see it from God's perspective. Now you see what God is doing. And everything about your response changes. Make sense? If I take you into a a more personal story... Many of you who've, uh, who've journeyed with uh, Outlook Church for over 10 years, remember when we first built this building? And uh, by the grace of God, and I think because God felt sorry for us, He probably looked down upon us as a church and said, Oh, this poor church, I don't, I don't think they know what they're doing. I'm going to have to do everything for them. And He did. So pretty much in 10 months, sort of from February to December, the building was built and paid for, done and dusted. We're thinking, what's hard about a building project? Thank you, Jesus. Money just appeared. And then we're doing the extension. And uh, I mean, I'm just trusting the Lord. Surely, Lord, you've revealed your gracious hand to us. If it took 10 months last time, double, why don't five months? Let's just get it done and dusted. Six months into the journey, we've got a foundation laid. We bankrupt, and now COVID comes along. And I'm like, Lord, what's happening? Have, have, we, uh, have we missed it? Did we not hear God? And I, I mean, the prophetic word was, instead of shame and dishonor, you will receive a double portion of honor. Well, Lord, I ha- I'm still stuck on the instead, because I'm feeling the dishonor, not the... And I remember wrestling through this. It's like just crying out to God, Lord, how can we run out of money? You gave us a prophetic word. Money's not going to hold you back. 
and crying out to God, Lord, open the heavens. You own the cattle of a thousand hills. Please sell some of your cattle, Lord, and send the money. <laughs> Whatever it takes. And, and then came my reframing moment. So we're now going to an elders meeting, and uh, I think it was the very first elders meeting, actually, that uh, Baba Godfrey and Zantili and Luli, they had just come onto eldership, and they were in the elders meeting, and, and I don't know, I remember we were sitting at Sean and Judy McMillan's, and it's like, come on, elders, you oaks are probably sinning or something, I don't know what it is, we've got to pray, you know, <laughs> we've got to pray, Lord, send money from heaven, and we like, and then old Baba Godfrey is quite quiet, but oh, he says, you know, Brent, it's interesting that, um, that when God said to Solomon, you can ask me for anything. He didn't ask for money. He asked for wisdom and a discerning heart. And then money followed. I was like... <laughs> in that moment, in that moment, that was my reframing moment right there. I've been looking at this as a money... It's not a money problem. Lord, you're doing something in us. Money's not going to hold us up. It's things you want us to be ready. And suddenly circumstance didn't change. Money didn't start pouring down from heaven. Same situation, God's perspective. Lord, you want to bring a double increase here. And from that moment, it's like, no, no, actually, God's not slow in keeping his promises. He's patient with us. We need to double. And as I began to go back to the prophetic word, what does double portion mean? And you've heard me share some of those. Double portion means the oldest son. We've got to think like oldest sons, not beggars, not those. No, no. What does it mean to administer an inheritance? Double portion for the oldest son means a successor to the father. In other words, you continue the very work that the father was doing. That's what you've called us to. Double portion means we need to be double capacity leaders. We need to double our team. We need to discipleship doubles everything every year. And out of all of that, God began to speak. Do you understand my heart? Same situation. Nothing changed. But the problem was reframed. Now you're seeing it from God's perspective. So, how do we reframe a season of struggle? Right now, I've been speaking to different folk in the church. Some are plagued by sickness, whether it's COVID-related, whether it's directly you or a family member. This has been a season where actually it's just been a health struggle. For some, it's been an incredible financial struggle this season. I've spoken to some folk in the church who've been without work, unemployed, retrenched, months. What do we do? God, where are you? For some, it might have been a family member, a child gone off the rails, and I've been praying all these years, and now they've made bad choices, got themselves in a mess. For some, it might be a marriage. You had dreams, hopes, and now it's gone sideways. It's like, God, where are you? How do you keep facing the same struggle month after month after month and crying out to the God who created the heavens and the earth, but he's not doing anything in my struggle? Well, that's what we're talking about here. Because sometimes God changes the circumstances. Sometimes he doesn't. But even if the circumstance stays the same, if you get God's perspective, he can reframe your struggle in a moment and when you see it from God's perspective, everything changes. So, how does the Bible reframe it? Here's a well-known passage. Let's read it carefully in James 1, verses 2 to 6. It said, consider it pure joy. Say joy. Yeah, I can say it with joy now. <laughs> consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Yo, 
Talk about a reframed perspective. I mean, who faces trials with joy? It's, no, no, trials are supposed to produce frustration, anger. <clears throat> Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know, say you know. In other words, yeah, we go, this is the faith element. You know, if you don't know, you're just going to face the headache, heartache, and frustration. But when you know, and we've got to look at, what do we have to know? When we know that God is at work. Oh, that's okay. You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. Let perseverance finish its work. In other words, perseverance works on you. Like a sculptor with his little chisel and hammer that works on a block of granite until it's finished. Perseverance is working on you. It's working on you. When you want to give up, but you don't give up because you trust the Lord, even though he's not following your timetable, you continue. You carry on. You carry on. And perseverance is working on you. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature. Where does maturity come from? Sadly, it does not come from doing Bible courses. They can help, but they don't mature you. What matures you is when you keep going. When you're not living by sight, but you're living by faith because of the Word of God, I will carry on. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who generously gives to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. About uh, two years ago, for some reason, still slightly unknown to myself, I signed up to do that Ngorji trail run in a shower. Now, the Ngorji Forest is absolutely beautiful, but it was not designed for running in. It's designed for rock climbing and, at best, slow hiking, not running. Because, for goodness sake, why would people sign up for such torture? I mean, it was hideously ridiculous. But I remember doing it motivated by the sense of, oh, what a great feeling if I can finish this. And it's crazy when you think about how many people sign up for endurance sports and all of these things. Why would you do that? Except if there was some sense of, I'm going to get over that line and because I want to prove to myself I can do it. There's that sense of accomplishment. Imagine with me if we could somehow turn our trials into trials. If somehow we could see what you're going through right now It's not punishment from God. Jesus was punished on our behalf. But this is rather a trail run that God wants you to get to the end of because he's trying to accomplish something in your life. But it's all based on your perspective. When we, uh, I love going on holiday to the mountains, and I love hiking, not trail running, hiking. And uh, we would go for these walks in the mountains now. As most of you know, I've got two sons. Now they're big, but when they were still manageable... (laughs) We used to try and take them for a little walk, you know, like a two or three kilometer walk up into the hills. Honestly, it was as if we, this was child abuse. It was as if this is the severest form of punishment in the world. It's like, why, Dad, do we have to go walking? You know, can't we just sit at home and do nothing? And we would drag them on these little trails for a couple of hours in God's beautiful creation, trying to get them to see the wonder of hiking. A couple of hours later, once we're now back and we're over that traumatic experience, Kate would then say, okay, I'm going again because now I want to run them. 
and she would go off and run the same route. Now, I want you to see the different perspective. For the boys, it was absolute severe punishment. For Kate, it was, I want to do it again because I just love being out there. Same situation, different perspective. If we could see what God is doing in our lives from his perspective, it would change our response. Now, instead of trying harder to be a good Christian, let's be saying, Lord, I want to see what you're doing from your perspective. I want to leave you with uh, just three things, just practical repentance. Number one, it always, like everything, starts with revelation, your revelation. I want to ask you this question. Do you believe that God is always at work in our lives? Now, don't just say yes because it sounds theologically correct and the pastor's saying it. I want you to be honest. Do you actually believe that God is always at work in every situation? Because that's the starting point. Because if you don't, then it's like, well, maybe, God, you've just abandoned me. But if you truly believe God is good and God is always at work in every situation all the time, that's going to be the starting point. Because if you are working, then, Father, I want to know what you're doing. Because if I could catch a glimpse of what you're doing, it would change everything. That's where it starts. A wrong response to a situation is rooted in a wrong perspective. So if you keep on messing up the same response, you blow your top, you lose it, you have all fall down, whatever it might be, the root of the problem is you're not seeing it properly. You're seeing it as a frustration, as a headache. You're not seeing that your father is at work. Trials become trails when we see what God is trying to do. Jesus said in John 5 verse 17, in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Jesus had this revelation, my father's at work. It starts with your revelation of God. Number two, let's talk about repentance then. What's the sin? Personally, the sin in my life is when I'm not seeing things from God's perspective, or I slip so quickly into doubt that God is really good and He's at work, because all I'm seeing is my inconvenience, frustration, or God not answering my prayers the way I want Him to answer my prayers. And so quickly I slip into doubt or into fear or into frustration. In uh, Mark chapter 4 and verses 38, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Don't you love that? That's maturity right there. When you can face the storms of life, but you can sleep through them because you know God is with you, you know you've arrived. Jesus was asleep in the boat. His disciples, hardened fishermen that they were, were terrified because they thought the boat was going to sink. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Yikes, imagine saying to God, who is love, don't you care? But here's what happens. When the pressure's on, your real theology comes out. You can sing about Jesus, Christ is enough for me. And then God takes something away from your life and you manifest like a baby. It's, it's under pressure that we realize what do we really believe on the inside. And now that the storm was raging, don't you care about us? Verse 39, he got up. He rebuked the wind and the waves. Be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why? Are you so afraid? Do Now he answers his own question with another question. Do you still have no faith? There's the sin right there. 
how quickly we slip into a, not even factoring God into the equation, not believing God's involved in the situation. So all we do is respond in fear and doubt. God, do you care? Lovingly, we need to hear that rebuke from Jesus right now. Do you still have no faith? Jesus, help me to see what you've seen. Which brings me to point number three. We respond by asking God for his perspective. I wonder if, uh, have you ever thought of what would happen if God actually answered some of the prayers you prayed? Thank you, Jesus, that you don't always answer the prayers that I pray. Imagine if God had answered our prayer about the building. Right now, this would be a beautiful, finished auditorium that can seat 800 people, and we would be 50 in it. But now, by the grace of God, we've got a venue out here that can take 100, and we can put 50 in there. And in a few weeks' time, when we go to next level, we're going to put 100 there and 250 out here. By the grace of God, thank you, Jesus, he was probably looking at this church like, don't waste your time praying these silly prayers. I know what you need. Trust me, trust me, trust me. Ask God for his perspective. That verse we read in James, consider it pure joy. When you face trials of many kind, remember the testing of your faith develops perseverance, must, which must finish its work so that you'll be mature and complete. What does it say next? If anyone lacks wisdom. There it is. Ask God for his perspective. God's perspective is wisdom. So whatever you're facing right now, the health the wrestles, the unemployment issues, the money crisis, the, the relationship breakdown, God, please Give me wisdom. Let's remember what Baba Mdluli taught us. Don't keep hankering and begging for money or for whatever it is. First pray, Lord, give me understanding and wisdom. Help me to see. Help me to reframe what I'm facing so that I can see what you are doing. Amen? Amen. Let's reframe our season of struggle and it will completely change our response. Why don't you stand with me, please? <clears throat> If you don't mind closing your eyes for a moment, just before I pray for us, while there are eyes closed, there might be some of you here online watching, wherever you might be, and you haven't yet become a disciple of Jesus. In other words, you haven't, like Peter and John, they, they left everything, they repented, they turned their back on their old life to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. In other words, you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you're going through struggles and hardship right now. I want to reframe it for you. Someone once said, sometimes God has to upset us to set us up. If everything was smooth sailing in your life, you would probably not even give a thought to whether there's a God in the universe. But when we begin to get upset, I remember when I was 17 years old. Actually, I was doing fine, but on the inside... God had upset me. I didn't even know it was God, but there was this, this searching. There was this something missing inside which upset me. I was looking here and there. There must be some greater purpose, some greater meaning, which led to me discovering the wonder of following Jesus. So if you're here watching online or, or in, inside the building outside with me, I want to ask you today, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because that reframes everything. If you haven't done that yet, I would love to pray with you. Won't you come and chat with me? 
I'd love to pray with you and introduce you to Christ as Lord. For the rest of us, if you're thinking of a situation, a season of struggle in your life right now, maybe it's been a burden, a wrestle, maybe you're desperate. Heavenly Father, we believe that you are always working. That's the starting point. In fact, Lord, forgive us for doubting that your hand is involved, doubting that you love us enough to be involved. Would you forgive us that sinful thinking, that doubt and fear that we've allowed to control our hearts? We bring it before you as sin right now, confess it as sin and ask that you would wash us and cleanse us and we repent and choose to trust that you are at work. And so, Father, now we pray for wisdom. Holy Spirit, would you drop into our heart thoughts, ideas, scriptures that would make sense of what you're doing in our lives right now? Would you come and reframe our season so that we could see it from your perspective? Thank you, Lord. Friends, I truly believe that God is doing that in hearts right now. Stop whining, stop complaining, stop grumbling. God is at work. Believe him now that he's going to start giving you wisdom. That he's, remember, we think he's slow. He's not. He's patient. Patient means he's waiting for us. There could be a breakthrough. It could just be a timing issue. Father, give us wisdom, I pray, so that we would respond correctly. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray, let your word grow in our hearts. Over these next few weeks, as we continue trying to reframe the way we see what you're doing, Help us to grow and mature. Help us to see what you are doing. Help us not to give in to fear and doubt. We trust in you. So thank you, Lord God, for your amazing grace. Thank you, Lord God, for your incredible patience with us. Thank you, Lord God, that your gracious hand rests upon us in Jesus' name. And God's people saying...